So we're in mourning again, Rob. We're, we're mourning another dead Apple product. Are we mourning? When did you last buy one? Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> uh, about 2005. <laughs> Can you remember your first iPod? I, I wasn't I wasn't an iPod guy. I was a Zune guy, if you recall. I do remember now. Because I, I couldn't afford an iPod and I wanted to be different. <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not true. I had a... I had the little one, you know, the little clip-on one, the shuffle. Yep, I remember that one. Didn't have one. Was that, but, um, was that a later? That was, I think the first couple of shuffles were rubbish, weren't they? They, were, they sort of looked like a, a, a stick of chewing gum. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, when when they introduced the clip-on one, and they were about like 20 quid or something, it's almost rude not to. So they were. that was really good for running and stuff. Was that the... So with the shuffle, you couldn't choose tracks could you or could you it was just a case of playing no, no, playlists no, no, on yeah, there the whole point of it was that it just shuffled yeah yes yeah so you could load it up with like four gigs of music and then just go off and do whatever it is you wanted to do so yeah i said i did have a shuffle and i think um mrs rob had a nano so yeah so we didn't get involved with uh with ipads till very late or ipods until very late yeah and actually and i think I had, a, I had an ipod touch for a bit at one point again when i when i couldn't afford an iphone i had an ipod touch yeah that i did the same thing good. i think my first ipod was the i think it was the video one you know the one that was the that could first play video is it either that or the one before it which was the photo one um i loved it apart, apart from the fact it had that ridiculous stainless steel back which just you, know, you look at it and it's scratched um but yeah, it was a wonderful thing. I remember, I mean, I wasn't a Zune guy at all. Before that, I used to have mini disc players, to show my age now. And, oh, um, yeah, I had a Sony, whatever it was, R50 or something. Yeah, I can't Lovely think thing. one Oh, amazing. Yeah. What, what, a, what a technology that was that just killed off at source. A bit like one of Microsoft's um, best efforts, just like you've always said, just disappears if they get interesting. Um, but anyway, we digress. Um, but yeah, I, I used to love the iPod. I think um, the same as you, I couldn't afford an iPhone. So the first thing I had after the, the original iPod was the iPod Touch, which um, was great. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe mourning is the wrong word. I'm not that sad about it. I've not written about it. I've not felt the urge to talk about it really, or, apart from on, on, this, on the podcast. But um, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a moment, isn't it, I think, in, in tech and for Apple. The other problem with the iPod is that it makes you think of U2. It does me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't, yeah. when, I, when I first read about it, I was like, oh, okay. I feel, I, I feel sad about this, but I don't know why. And, uh, yeah, I, now I think about it, I just, yeah, I don't think I am sad at all because, yeah, I haven't bought one for, for years. I think we've just all moved on, haven't we? That's the, that's the problem, on. really. They, they well, probably I mean, should have canned a, it a while it, it served its purpose as a, you know, thousand songs in your pocket and all of that stuff. But now now you've got all the music in the world ever in your pocket via streaming. So it's, it's not necessary anymore. It's not, no. Still, it's over. Had a good run. Just over 10, no, just over 20 years, wasn't it? Was it was 20 years, yeah. Um, which is a long time, actually, to be fair, so... I'd love to know how many they were selling towards the end in terms of the, the touch. Yeah, probably evidently not enough. 20, 30 a month or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was uh, quite a big event uh, yesterday at the time of recording. Because um, we're starting to get back into tech news territory now. Things are starting to pick up. Because if you... Um, before yesterday, if you headed onto Twitter and, and looked, if you follow anyone in the in the YouTube space, they're all telling us that uh, you know tech YouTube is dead and it's just not worth carrying on because no one's watching any videos anymore. Um, whereas in reality, it's just a case of the dip before the all the new stuff comes along. And Google, although they're not quite first to the post, they've certainly beat Apple to it, obviously with something you know a, a relatively big event as they normally do. I think I/O comes before WWDC most years, doesn't it? Am I right in saying that? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it has the last like couple does. of years. Um, it's the first one I've watched, even though I got the time wrong. I still don't know how I did that. I thought it was on 8pm 
UK time, and then I went onto the Discord server, and you were all talking about it. And I thought, <laughs> what's, what's this weird alternative reality I've, I've, I've entered? Um, but yeah, I, I kind of watched most of it. I, I skipped some of the more kind of searchy, boring bits um, at the start, um, but I watched the majority of it. Did, did you watch the whole thing, or did you go, kind of dip in and out? Yeah, no, no. Uh, well, I mean, I did watch it, but I wasn't. I didn't have my full attention on it. I just. I had it on in the background because I had some other stuff to do. But, um, yeah, no, I did keep an eye on it. What did you think? Um, I th- I, th- I thought it was good. I think um, it was nice that it was all live again. Yeah, that was nice, wasn't it? So, big turnout as well. Big big turnout. So, yeah, having that live live vibe was, was nice. Um, and they, they also talked about and showed off some interesting stuff. It's interesting their angle this time round. I think uh, if you haven't watched it yet and you're planning on, then you should play a drinking game, which is to uh, to have a shot every time they say helpful. <laughs> that was their theme this time, wasn't it? They were, they were just yeah. really making every effort to reassure us. No, 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 guys, we're not we're not evil, we're not evil anymore. We we just want to help. We're, re- we're a really helpful company. Look at yeah. all of these nice things we're doing to help you. And to be fair, you know, the sort of things that, that I've criticised them for in the past as their, you know, sort of privacy and their invasive data consumption. Whereas before they would hide the options to, you know, opt out of that stuff out of the way. One of the most interesting things that they showed off was how they're making an effort to actually put your... Uh, privacy controls front and center and actually do stuff for you yeah so which is really encouraging if it translates into real world use as always um, i think i skipped most of that bit i, I think i remember seeing it as i was going through the um, oh no i think thing. that was the yeah so the the yeah if you if you, if you skipped through it you, you probably would have missed a fair amount of the Look at you know. Look at all of these good things. We do, we do good things now. You know, there was a lot of that kind of. Yeah. We're we're really. Yeah, they are. They're really making an effort. I guess because they have to because uh, Apple. That's their main thing at the moment, isn't it? Is that you're in control of your data. We don't sell it to anyone else. Yeah. Privacy matters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, it was it was a good event. There was still weirdness, you know, like asking an AI to about a planet made of ice cream and that kind of stuff yeah they're very they're a bit awkward aren't they about certain they're, they're kind of the i know obviously all um hair force one uh kind of gets the the rap for being like a bit of a, a dad joker but um i think google are worse for that they just they seem a little bit out of place sometimes don't they on stage but um i quite like that i think it's quite endearing really to in, in a way um, well, I, I enjoyed the bit where they're uh <coughs> One of the speakers, I forget who it was, <laughs> explained what TLDR means. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks for that. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. <laughs> that was during the Google Docs thing, wasn't it? There was some pretty was, cool stuff. Again, that was that was really cool. The auto summary feature is bonkers. Yeah. I, is it available to try yet, or is it a beta thing? I, I'm not sure. I just can't see how that works. I mean, I'm sure it does, but it's. I mean, some of the stuff they were showing was like genuinely amazing a lot of the search stuff actually the, the bits i did catch some of the google maps things as well uh yeah they're, they're doing that kind of fly through aren't they interior building the interior of buildings based on some sort of machine learning and ai and stuff rather than using drones uh, but yeah that um the google doc stuff because it, it basically creates a, an automatic summary of of the document doesn't it for you well no, no, it doesn't just apply to documents it'll apply to meetings and you know just about sort of anything where you can throw a bunch of data at it to process and it will come back with a TLDR, which is awesome. That is amazing. So yeah, it doesn't matter. It can be you know, a, 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 a written document or a presentation or a, a meeting recording, which it will have you know, live transcribed. And actually, on the subject of transcription, their, their language stuff was incredible that yeah. they showed off. So whereas historically, your Google Translate has relied on having you know, previous recorded 
translation and sort of the accepted conversion between language A to language B, supplemented with, you know, user-provided corrections and suggestions and all that sort of stuff. Their AI is now so clever that it can just look at a new language and based on patterns that it knows about from other languages, just translate it without all of that pre-prepared information, which is astonishing. It's nuts, isn't it? And they've added something like, is it 40 additional languages to... Which was mind blowing anyway. I didn't realise there were that many languages that weren't in there already. But um yeah. Quite a quite a lesson for me yesterday. Now that was really impressive. I, I quite liked um they kept talking about ambient computing, didn't they? Which I think is a, a term they used towards the end of the presentation, but it kind of linked back to everything they were talking about, you know, in terms of um you know, what what the Google Assistant can do now and well, yeah, so I mean, there was a narrative, wasn't there? So they, mm. they spent the first hour, at least, talking about their strides forward in AI and machine learning. And then the second half was, well, these are the practical application f- for those, you know, these advances that we've made. Things like, um, I mean, yeah, they showed off a lot of stuff that pro- probably people won't sort of notice or care about or appreciate you, you kind of feel it in the quality of the search results or the quality of your directions that google maps gives you or the you know the quality of the the the, the maps and all this sort of stuff but in terms of you know things that people will actually use and care about is like being able to change the angle of portrait lighting that was yeah. quite cool that was brilliant wasn't it so you you know you can apply your portrait lighting and then actually move you know, change the angle of the light to to light one side of your face or the other or whatever you know you want to do which is that was really cool they glossed then, over uh, that very quickly i thought though that, that the demo of that i couldn't work out if it was just i think it is a case of you can literally just move that thing around the screen but the, they didn't quite explain that and I, I wondered if it was just a case of they were showing what the what, what's happening behind the scenes but i think you can literally just move this little dot around and have the the light on your, your face change which is just bonkers and, and if apple did that they'd talk about it for about 20 minutes wouldn't they they'd give it a stupid <laughs> name and you know they wouldn't stop rambling on about it but um yeah that's one thing i do quite like about google they, they just kind of go over these things some of this stuff quite quickly um and you kind of blink and you miss it but then it's really impressive stuff yeah wow. Well. All of the all of the product stuff, the stuff that you know, I think you and I were most interested in, they covered in like the last twenty minutes or mm. something. And yeah, the the vast majority was really focusing on their 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 their, their AI advances, because I think that's that's kind of their thing. Because I mean, it, it's even even the most diehard Apple fan would admit that Google Assistant is streets ahead of. Serious, yeah. not even close. Um, and same for for Amazon's voice assistant. It's just it's just not as good. So yeah, the, the the whole ambient computing thing, which is just taking creepy to a new level. But they sort of gloss. They're, they're I mean, they're, they're just going all in, aren't they? They're just leaning right into that and yep. just like, well, yeah, yes, this is creepy, but you're you're going to learn to live with it. So things like the the home hub now being able to to, to know if you're looking at it and talking to so without having yeah. to say the wake word it can detect now if you're addressing it and uh and and deal with your inquiry. But also the 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 manner in which you deliver your inquiry will be much more fluid and natural because you can ask follow-up questions or you know correct your initial request if there was some sort of issue with it so you know whereas at the moment on other voice assistants if you stop midway through because you're trying to gather your thoughts so you know you're saying play that Um, song by uh um, uh, and then you know the other voice assistants would try and find some meaning in what you'd said but google assistant will detect that you're just having a think and will uh, patronisingly nod, nod its head at you. Go, oh, mm, Keep going. Just let you yeah. know that it's still listening, yeah. but you know, not actioning the request that clearly was, was not a request yet. But yeah, allowing you to have follow-up questions referring to the thing that you asked for first as 
that or this, you know, without yeah. calling it out specifically. I think that's a huge thing because I, I find occasionally um, speaking to Alexa and Siri quite stressful because, you know, you've got a very small gap, a very small window that you've got to make that request in. I have it all the time in the studio, for example. If I, I keep forgetting what I've called certain things in the, in the studio to be turned on or turned off. So I'll say, uh, yeah, the magic word, uh, turn on. Uh, and before you know it, she's, t- she's just turned herself off. She's got bored within seconds. Uh, and Siri's the same, actually. You have to be very quick with Siri to get it to do anything. Um, I love that sort of stuff. It's a mixture of kind of creepy, like you say, the whole kind of the fact it recognises the fact you're looking at that device. Um, it's a mixture of creepy and incredibly useful. You have, to, you have to try and find a balance in between the two. And that's, that's always the problem with Google, I find. Because we know what they're doing behind... Well, we have a very good idea what they're doing behind the scenes with a lot of this stuff. Um, but it is genuinely pretty useful. Same thing with all the search things. I mean, some of the search stuff that I did see yesterday looks really handy. You know, the, the ability to combine searches, combine search terms, be more natural with the the language that you're using to search for stuff. You know, pointing your phone at um, racks of products on a in a supermarket and let, let it, letting it pick out the exact elements that you want to, to find. Um, how they're getting that data is slightly worrying but it's it results in a really useful feature doesn't it well which will become very useful in the not too distant future based on their their little their little one more thing at the end but we'll get on to yeah that. we'll get on to that because they showed a whole bunch of stuff yeah which uh as i say that the, 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 i found that the, the ai ml all of their you know clever algorithms and stuff that they're doing fascinating interesting but what I was most interested in was how they are very much, they've reached parity with Apple now in terms of their their Android ecosystem. So they yeah. showed off the watch, which looks lovely. I think that looks really nice. Um, they finally integrated Fitbit stuff into it. Because, I mean, they set that purchase off in motion in, what, 2019? That's when they bought think, Fitbit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the deal was only finalised last year, but you know they've obviously had access to all of that that data and the the the, re, the resource at Fitbit, and yeah, it hasn't really they haven't really done anything with it. But now it seems that there there's a sort of deep Fitbit know-how um, baked into this new Pixel Watch, um, which which couldn't look more like an Apple Watch if it tried. No, but I kind of like it. I kind of like the round Apple Watch vibe. I love it. I, I think I'm, I've never been that much of a fan of the Apple Watch in terms of the way it looks. I, I, you know, you put up with it because it's such a good device, and it's pretty much the only one worth using if you're an iPhone user. But um, for obvious reasons. But um, given the choice, I'd much much rather it was a traditional round face because that's what watches are. That's what they always have been. You know, it's got as it is. It's kind of. 80s early 90s vibe electronic calculator watch isn't it which fine but um i I think the pixel watch looks absolutely lovely i I think it looks stunning really um we don't know much about interesting was that uh, all of the all of the speakers that i could see wearing a smartwatch were wearing galaxy watch yes i spotted that that was interesting except the guy that was that you know did the reveal of the pixel watch he was wearing a pixel watch but uh yeah that just amused me that internally they seem to be really into the galaxy watch i guess because it's the only one running the latest wear os yeah and that, i'm aware and i've never used one but you, i get the impression they're pretty nice pretty nice watches actually people seem to like them uh, but you had to look twice i don't know about you but i kept looking and thinking surely they're not wearing a pixel watch before it's been announced but um yeah, only one of them was, like you say. But I'm really looking forward to that. I, th- I think is we don't know a huge amount about it, do we? They didn't tell us much at all, really, apart from the fact it is basically an Apple Watch in terms of functionality, um, and like you say, the Fitbit integration. Uh, but we don't know things like, you know, battery life, performance. We don't know whether it's going to come in more than just the aluminium. Is it the aluminium, or I think they've used recycled? Um, yeah. I, d- I don't know what it's made of, but it's shiny, isn't it? So it, might, th- it might be stainless steel. I don't uh, know. Possibly, or- yeah. It's recycled something, isn't it? But I don't know if they were going to perhaps do a different different editions of it, like the you know, like the like the Apple Watch. So we don't know anything really. Um, but it looks it's, it it looks like a very promising start, doesn't it? Um, yeah, well, and you can pair it with your Pixel Six A. Uh, well, assuming they release it here, yeah, was, we we didn't get the Five A here. We didn't, did we? Um, 
And I love the 4A. I think, as, as I mentioned before, it's one of my favourite ever phones. So I'm desperate, desperately hoping that we get that in the UK. Because um, it looks great. I mean, four, $449, you know, it's it's completely within iPhone SE territory. But you know it's well, going to be... Well, it's a very, that's a very good parallel to draw because now they, they've got their Tensor chip, which is the same chip that you could get in the Pixel Pro. So yep. they've done, again, a very Apple thing where you get this, you know premium soc whether you buy the cheapest phone or the most expensive one the, yeah. the, the, the gubbins are the same it's all the, the stuff around it that changes yeah which is fantastic fantastic news um and but it's it, all has glass as well glass back glass back is, it's because they've they've been plasticky before haven't they yeah it will have a bigger screen you know a more modern screen probably than the the iphone se which isn't difficult let's be honest um yeah I, again i can't wait to hopefully get that in my hands providing we get them in the, in the uk well, um, they're offering five years of security updates and i think samsung of of you know in their event they also this is now this is now a thing you know whereas uh you could reasonably expect to get two or three before they're now catching up with apple but i mean it's it's important to remember that security updates are not the same as os updates no so it's not going to, they're still not quite there. Because yeah, if you buy an iPhone today, it'll probably still be getting iOS updates in five or six years' time. That is almost certainly not going to be the case with your Galaxy S22 or your Pixel 6a. But still, it's a step in the right direction. It's very nice to see. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, what else was there in terms of hardware? There's uh, Pixel Buds Pro, which are basically AirPods Pro. Yeah, well, what I found amusing about that section was uh, the speaker, I think it's Brian, very sincerely, you know, explained ANC to the audience as though no one had ever heard of it before. <laughs> There's a few um, moments like that, though, I thought. The other one was the um, the Google Wallet introduction, yeah. like... You'll be able to. I think they even said um, the guy who was. I can't remember who it was, but the guy who was uh, introducing it said, I, you know, "When I leave the house now, I take my phone and my wallet." He thinks surely he's not going to say what I think he's going to say, is he? He says, "I wonder if I can just take out my phone." <laughs> yes, we, lots of us have been doing that since about twenty twenty, mate. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's parity with Apple, isn't it? That's, that's what they're doing. Um, I don't I mean the Pixel Buds I've not tried to be honest but they they're a similar design to the kind of non non stem buds like the Galaxies and and stuff like that which I'm not a fan of so I don't know yeah again I can't talk about them without yeah, actually trying them out but um but they are pretty much AirPods Pro aren't they Yeah they seem decent but well they the AirPods Pro but the yeah the sort of kidney bean style um design and you can get them in different colors which is quite nice yeah yeah that's yeah that's one thing they've definitely gone got on apple i think really um i'd love to have airpods pro in different colors but apple seem completely against doing that don't they and then bizarrely they showed off a tablet that isn't coming until next year yeah. but looks like it's from 2006 <laughs> it looks like a galaxy tab doesn't it from back then yeah and uh, it's like white bezels why why is that why yeah. you put white bezels on it and why is it taking so long to come out? I mean, it's not, it doesn't look like it's kind of game changing or, yeah. you know, massively, you know, out there design. It's just a, like you say, it looks like a really old tablet, a really old Android tablet. Weird. The, the, the tablet enhancements they've made to Android look quite good, though. I like that, uh, that dock they had. Yeah. So they, they showed off a demo of improvements that they'd made to Android on a larger uh, on a device with a larger display and at the bottom you've got like a, a i mean it, it's a dock there's a dock a row of icons it's a dock but when you go into an app it doesn't disappear like it does on an ipad it shrinks down and sits at the bottom so that you can very easily switch between those types, which i quite like oh that's quite good i know on the ipad you can just flick up and you can get your dock back wherever you are but that's there's st still two actions to flip between devices to, to, to flip between apps and the um, the app switcher, yeah, I think looked nicer than the iPad iPad OS equivalent. Um, I was it was 
bizarre when they showed off like the split screen and you know dragging a photo from the photos album into an email because yeah that he, he got way too excited about that and again <laughs> that's something that we've been doing for a decade so i don't know what what happened there yeah it's rare that it's not apple doing this really isn't it it's normally apple that are doing the thing oh, check yeah, out copy that, paste that, that's very i remember thinking while i was watching it because you know like um Dieter from the verge works at google now i wonder if he's been consulted on this sort of stuff because he's obviously been to a lot he's seen hundreds and hundreds of these tech events and yeah this year's io was very much copying out of the the apple playbook it was it's, you know like well when right at the start of the presentation they at google you know took time it was like a sort of history of computing kind of intro where they helpfully explained to us how google invented everything and yeah and then at various points throughout the presentation like you know explaining to us what anc is and you know as though these are wild new innovations but yeah maybe it is down to him who knows which is exactly what apple do it is they they will present something to us as though it's amazing and new and and it isn't at all and we know it isn't but we still we still and it's, know, go along with it yeah it's easy to, to take the piss out of that but it's also easy to kind of almost fall in love with that approach a little bit because they do it so confidently as google did yesterday they don't give a toss do they it's just we know this exists already but this is our version of it and we're going to get really excited about it you know write what you like afterwards um, oh the the, fun, <laughs> the funniest thing was when they showed off what the pixel 7 pro is going to look like yeah and the camera bump is essentially a massive version of the the rumoured pill-shaped layout for Face ID on the iPhone 14. So you know all the rumours are saying that there's, you're going to have like a, a pill-shaped um, camera module and a dot for the Face ID um, time-of-flight sensor thingy. And yeah, the back of the Pixel 7, the camera bump, is just that, but massive. <laughs> Did you spot that? I did. Is, do you reckon that's Google trolling? I, th- I think that's an epic troll. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, yeah, at least I hope it is because yeah, that's genius. <laughs> I love the I love the idea that these companies do that. It's not just a design kind of you know coincidence. Um, there, well, there were a couple of other things that were interesting. Oh, the uh, the integrations between um, Chromebook and your Android phone. Yes. So the the real standout thing that they showed there was the ability to access not not run locally on your Chromebook your messaging apps but actually stream the app from your phone. So you're on your phone, you're having yep. a conversation, you get to your desk, you open up your Chromebook, you can carry on that conversation in the app yeah. but it's running on your phone. So clever, isn't it? Which is super cool. And it's way beyond what Handoff does with with yeah. um, on, on you know, iOS and macOS. Yeah, it, yeah, it knocks Handoff into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. that was very cool. And um, I guess we need to come on to the one more thing, which is their AR glasses, their live translation glasses. We do, and I'm going to have to put my hands up here and say I stopped watching at that point because I thought it had finished. <gasps> I think I'd made such a mess of my my watching of the IO event yesterday. Uh, that was kind of capped it off really that I finished it because it was about half ten by that point and um, sort of bleary eyed, headed into the kitchen. Then came back down this morning and thought, hang on a minute, why why is everyone talking about AR glasses? And then I assumed it was just people taking the piss basically, and that yeah, you know, it was another kind of rumor that had been made up. But no, that this was actually a thing, wasn't it? At the end, which I still haven't yeah. watched actually, to be fair, but. Uh, so okay, sell it so, to me. You know, this is this is their second attempt at AR glasses. The first being Google Glass, which was a good ten years ago, and uh, the, they introduced that by uh, having the speaker jump out of a plane. If you recall, did some skydiving with their Google Glass. I remember, yeah, vaguely. There was none of that this time because the product was so amazing they didn't need to. So it's a pair of glasses that looks like glasses. If you didn't know they were fancy glasses, you wouldn't know, but building upon all of the sort of the algorithm translation stuff that they talked about at the, you know earlier in the presentation we're talking real time translation in a conversation so you can speak to someone in your chosen language they can be wearing 
these AI glasses and it will in real time translate what you're saying and beam it into the lens so that the other person can see in their preferred language what you're saying and vice versa if you both got a set yeah which is completely insane nuts yep yeah so yeah i'll be interested to see where apple are on this because i know there have been rumors about people have started to see ar related stuff you know you know but they go routing through the code of various operating systems or whatever. There are some new AR-related things. And Apple have been going on about AR for ages, and we haven't really understood why they're so hyped for it. And so, yeah, so Google have beaten them there by showing the world something that is genuinely useful and amazing. Yeah, well, we had Sam from Matt Rumors on, didn't we, last time? And he, he was quite confident that we'd see something AR-related, even if it's just something to do with the operating system um, at WWDC. But... Um, so with these, with the Google glasses, was was it just the translation thing they were showing? Was there, was there anything else to them that was? No, that's that's all they showed at this stage. Again, because like you said, that all the really cool stuff, all the hardware, they just rattled through in the last half an hour. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we don't really know much about any of it. No, but it all looks very nice. It does. Yeah, I mean, even the, the Pixel Seven Pro. And then the, you know, the Pixel Seven looked looked great, although we only saw the back of it, didn't we? And they didn't really say anything about it meaningful. Um, but yeah, it all, it all looks nice. Was there a date put on the the glasses, or a kind of a rough a quarter or anything that was put Not on it? That I recall. Hmm, interesting. I guess that's probably a next year product, isn't it? I can't imagine we're going to see it this year. But um, yeah, maybe it bodes well for Apple in terms of them doing something at WWDC. Maybe we will finally see something on this. Um, but that that use case you've just given me makes total sense. Um, I think you know I've, I've always had an issue with AR and this sort of stuff in the in the past because I, I just can't think of uses for it. And I appreciate this means you've both got to be wearing the same glasses and all the rest of it, but that's fine. You know, eventually we get to that stage, don't well, we? No, but like I mean, even even solo stuff. So you know, you were mm. saying about how they were showing enhancements to you know Google Lens where you can just point at a shelf in a supermarket and they'll tell you where everything is. Yeah. Well, what if you didn't have to point your phone at it? What if it was just in your AR glasses? Amazing, yeah. Yeah. Love it. So you just augment the world with more useful information because they're helpful. Google are helpful now, Mark. They're not evil, are they? They're not evil glasses. They're not evil. They're not evil. No, No, really, we're not evil. We're helpful. We just want to help. That was the message. That would be their new strapline, wouldn't it? Google (laughs) is a helpful company. Have we missed anything else from IO? I think that was most of it, wasn't it? I don't it? think so. I think that's pretty adequately covered all the the, the most interesting things. It was, it was a good event. I, I enjoyed, enjoyed it. it, yeah. <clears throat> I think from, from my perspective as well, in terms of just kind of general tech news, it's it's a really good start to it because there's lot. it's not just here's a new phone and we've done a wearable, all this sort of stuff. There's generally interesting narratives built around all this, all these things, which in turn makes you look at people like Apple and, 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 and the rest and think, well, are they, you know, how are they going to respond to this? Um, I think we're into, in for quite an exciting two or three years ahead, I think, with some of this stuff. I love oh. the fact we're finally getting a... I know, I know the, the Galaxy Watch is, you know, a, a, apparently a decent device, but I love the fact from the from Google themselves we're finally getting a what looks like a genuine Apple Watch competitor because I think we need it. And I think, um, again, that should push things on a bit from Apple's side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was, the, it was the most Apple-like tech keynote that i've seen but there, there was still there was still some rough edges i spotted a couple of internal notes on a few slides i don't know if you <laughs> caught those so there was like a sort of yellow banner at the top that said uh yes i you know i know this transition isn't quite right i'll fix it before the live oh really show and oh, uh, <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah, so there were a couple of occasions where there was some uh yeah the cracks were showing but yeah it was a, overall very good effort good event wasn't it and there was some whooping and hollering from the crowd as well was there we we haven't had for two years now have we anyway it was it was not as silly as the apple whooping and cheering no and i thought it was a little bit time yeah i thought it was a little bit ironic as well i think they knew it was i think there was there was whenever they they, you had a bit of a whoop the camera would swing across the, the audience and they were all looking a little bit kind of yeah we know this is ridiculous (laughs) <laughs> uh, the entire kind of, um, I don't know, the, the feel of the entire event, I, I, I quite enjoyed. I thought it was quite um, a little bit tongue-in-cheek at times. And yeah, it was great. And, and, and nice to see it in person again. Um, 
Okay, well, that's Google done. Um, we need to talk about keyboards now, I think, Rob, because um, I, I've i done a fair few things on keyboards in the past, but I, I should kind of preface that with the fact that I'm not a keyboard expert whatsoever. I just tried out a mechanical keyboard and thought, ooh, this is nice, I like this, um, and made a few videos about them. But it was very much top-level stuff. Um, you've gone a bit further than that, haven't you, um, from what I've seen on the Discord server? Well, yeah, because I can't just do something, can I? Uh, yeah, this is all Louise Findlay's fault. This is an appalling influence. But um, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've spent like the last six weeks trying to learn everything there is to know about mechanical keyboards. It's a very deep and expensive rabbit hole, and I do not recommend that anyone does it. Just buy the keyboard, use it, and enjoy it, because it gets out of control very quickly yeah i mean i've i've genuinely i said this the other day i mean louise just for those who don't know is, is a member of the discord server she, she came on probably a month or so ago maybe a little bit longer and um she's been a fantastic member she's just gone for it and um yeah she's she's responsible for getting rob into all sorts of things and um <laughs> i'm aware of that so and, and because we've now got a dedicated keyboard channel on that discord server i've only occasionally dipped in there to look at what's going on and I, Mainly because I know if I get involved, I'll do the same thing. I'll probably go down, down this rabbit hole and it'll be goodbye, all of my money. Um, but whenever I dip in, there's some really odd, interesting things. Like I've seen escape keys with what look like mountains inside them. Um, oh, yeah, they're the old artisan key cap, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, I've seen all sorts of strange stuff going on in that channel. And... Um, you have to remind yeah, yourself yeah, that these very, are keyboards. Very, very important. It's, it's one of the rules of mechanical keyboards. Oh. Is that you can't you can't have all of your keycaps matching. You've got to have one wacky one. And that is obviously uh, a, a Mario Kart. Is it Mario Kart? No, Mario. So, yes, the world. Mario question mark box I've got as my escape key currently. Yeah, I made the mistake of visiting our mechanical keyboards, the mechanical keyboards Reddit subreddit, um, and I I cannot in good conscience recommend that anyone looks at it because it will it will ruin your life <laughs> so i mean i initially i was just i'll tell, I'll tell you the, the the situation right so i saw louise's mechanical keyboard and i was like okay that actually looks really nice maybe i will maybe i'll have a little dabble i'll just uh, dip my toe in the water so i i went looking for uh 10 keyless so it's TKL, as known as, which is, you know, just a regular keyboard, but missing the number pad, for those who aren't aware. Um, but I like having an inverted L-shaped enter key, which is the ISO layout. And almost every keyboard out there has got the ANSI layout with the, with the wrong shape enter key. So it's quite a challenge to find, an, you know, an easily available, reasonably priced, 10 keyless or smaller wireless iso hot swappable keyboards now hot swappable means you can take this the switches out and put different switches in if you don't like it so the least worst option i could find was a keychron k8 and by default it's got gatoron brown switches in it which is a tactile switch so it turns out there were, there were three main types of switch you've got linear which has got no sort of bump at all it's just the same feels the same all the way down you've got tactile which is mostly quiet but it's got you know a bump you can feel at the end and then you've got clicky which clicks on the way down and clicks on when, when you press the key down and on the release as well so this one's got gator on brown so they're tactile switches but they're um apparently the thing to do now is to lubricate your switches to make them feel smoother and sound better because it's this is sort of caught on in the enthusiast community, a lot of manufacturers sort of factory pre-lube their keys now, um, their their switches, um, as are Keychron. So the the switches in this are lubricated at the factory, but they are so heavily lubricated, it's like it's almost like they've just dunked them in a vat, because um, essentially these might as well be linear switches because you can't feel the bump because it's been so over lubricated. So I took this apart and we'll get on to why in a bit. I took it apart, but yeah, the, the actual sort of bottom of the case, it was just, just dripping with, with oil that they had lubricated these switches with. Nice. 
Anyway, well, why why am I doing this? So um, I one of my sort of earliest fondest computing memories is the the first two eight six that my dad got. So I remember sitting on his knee as a kid, and we fired up this color VGA two eight six PC, and we were playing Prince of Persia on it. Oh wow! Remember Prince of Persia? I do. The, I, I mean, spent a lot time, of time playing that. The uh, yeah, the rotoscoped graphics. It was, it was, it was too hard. It was absurdly. And this is back when games were just brutally difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with that. And yeah, so, so yeah, playing Prince of Persia, sitting on my dad's knee on this exciting two eight six with a color monitor and an ad lib sound card. Just amazing, good times. But anyway, it it turns out that this computer that he had. It's got a bit of a cult following. So it was made by a company called Triumph Adler. And it's called a Dario. So Triumph Adler Dario 286. And it came with this keyboard that had these interesting teal-coloured keys. And yep. I'll, I'll post, I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have a dabble with me- mechanical keyboards. Let's see if I can make a replica, you know, a modern reimagining of that keyboard that I had when I was 10. Because I've got a very fond memory. I'm sure if I still had it, I'd have a go on it and it'd, it'd be yeah. rubbish. It's going to not nearly as good as I remember it. But um, yeah, I thought let's just let's try and make a modern version of that as a fun project because yeah, I'm obsessed with mechanical keyboards now. Um, and it turns out, yeah, it's got just bizarrely a cult following. So there's there's actually one on eBay currently, the the, the exact keyboard that I had when I was ten, going for two thousand euros. Jesus, on eBay. Wow. Are they rare then? I'm guessing that there can't be that many left, or is it just they? Just well, yeah, I'm we're talking about a thirty-year-old keyboard, yeah. but yeah, so it's not. It's not. I don't think it was a very good keyboard. It's based on a Cherry for the same area. So I actually have one here. I don't know. You, you probably remember these. Remember the old classic Cherry. I, do. I used to love those. So yeah, so it's one of yeah. those. Yeah. So you can still use these. If you've, if you've got like an old vintage keyboard, you can still use them, but you do need a hilarious number of uh, adapters. So this particular one I've got here is a, a Cherry 3000 from like 1994. So it still has the old style AT connector. So we're talking pre-PS2. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a look. Look at that bad boy. So basically like a MIDI cable. Yeah, <laughs> size of it. So you need, a, you need an adapter, first of all, to go from the AT connector into PS2. And then from PS2 to USB. So you need yeah, two adapters just to get it to work. And then it turns out it's a horrible keyboard. So <laughs> this one I've, I've dug out of the loft because it turns out that vintage keyboards are really in right now, as demonstrated by the fact that the one I had 30 years ago, if you want one now, it'll cost you €2,000. But people aren't really interested in the keyboard itself. They want the keycaps. So because they were cherry keycaps, you can put them on modern-day cherry switches. So anyway, long story short, I found some replicas. And even the replicas were, well, there were some really good replicas by a company called GMK, which is like your Rolls-Royce of keycaps. Uh, but I found some knockoffs for 50 quid on uh, Etsy. Of course, you, of course you did. Um, but there's a problem with this, and that is that it doesn't have the appropriate, one of the keys, this one here, the uh, backslash key, it doesn't, for, for the ISO layout, so on the ISO layout, it lives next to the left shift key. It doesn't have the right profile. So each of the so this is something that I've discovered as so a schoolboy error is the keycaps at the top are sculpted very differently to the ones at the bottom. So you've got like row one, row two, row three, row four. They've they've all got a slightly different profile. So anyway, so my backslash is wrong, so I can't use this keycap. So I, I ended up buying the cheap one and also having to go and buy the the expensive GMK one. Wow. It's a rabbit hole, isn't it? Because it's, it's a rabbit hole. There's so much to learn, and I've made yeah. so many mistakes already. And uh, but even my budget build. So this was supposed to be just a fun, cheap, and cheerful build. So I bought, you know, a, a, a cheap mechanical keyboard, a Keychron, which is a good, solid entry level um, mechanical keyboard. But yeah, the Keychron do not sell reasonably priced value for money keyboards. What they sell is gateway drugs into the world of mechanical <laughs> keyboards. So um, already with this one, 
I've replaced the keycaps. I've got my my artisan keycap because that's very important. Um, it's also very important, apparently, to uh, to put your space bar on back to front. Yeah, what, what's that all about? Well, it's it's a slightly different angle. So sort of, I guess it's more comfortable right. too, and also it looks cool, like wearing your baseball cap backwards, which everyone knows is the coolest way to wear one's baseball cap. That's all I ever do. And <laughs> also, I suppose if people spot that you've done that with your key with your your um your space bar, they know. They know what you are in terms of where where you sit within the keyboard family. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I mean, so I I have um, I ordered a, a foam, a cut, you know, a sort of laser cut foam pad that sits between the PCB and the the top of the case to dampen the sound a bit. I got it off uh, AliExpress. It was about a fiver, and it, uh, it it does it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. That is the least amount of money I will be spending during the course of my mechanical keyboard project. Because, yeah, I've, pr- I've priced everything out. So the things that I want to do are replace the switches because these Gatoron Browns are not are not brilliant. So I actually bought a, a keyboard switch tester set with a bunch of different keys. So, you know, we've got like very clicky down to, you know, less clicky down to, you know, completely silent. So you've, you've uh, just so turned out what kind of switch I like. You've just turned the podcast into an ASMR podcast. <laughs> Oh yeah, did you? There are so. It's, I mean, you might refer to it as like a niche, but it's it's a massive niche. The keyboard sound test videos where people are testing oh, the modifications ridiculous. that they've done to their keyboards and the different switches available and the, and the different treatments that they've done to it. So within a switch, you can take it apart. You can swap out the top, the top case and the bottom case, the stem, the spring. You can, you know, lube it with different lubes. You can uh, install what's called a film, which gives it, you know, makes it a bit more stable, reduces some vibrations and other stuff. So, yeah, if you if you really look into it, there are all sorts of things that people are doing to their keyboards, and then they record themselves typing on it. And there are thousands of these videos, and they're getting millions of views. Um, so, yeah, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a rabbit hole, so it's a, it's a, and it gets very expensive very quickly. So yeah, when I when I saw this um, pad to sort of dampen the sound of the the deck of the keyboard, it was a fire. And I thought, okay, this isn't too bad. This is gonna this is gonna be fine. But yeah, I've priced everything out, and even my my budget sort of beginner build is gonna end up having cost about three hundred quid by the time I finished. Which is a lot of money for a mechanical keyboard. I think the most expensive one that I've got is the F96, the Iquinix, um, which is £260 or something like that. Uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of money for, for a mechanical keyboard. The question I've got is, do you get more of the enjoyment from the build or the actual end result and using the, the keyboard that you've built? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? So yeah, so I've enjoyed doing all the research I'm a bit annoyed that I, you know, made a couple of schoolboy errors along the way by failing to check whether or not the backslash key was appropriate for an ISO layout for this, you know, the, the budget set I bought. But you know, you live and learn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's no, it's, just, it's a fascinating area if you're interested in that sort of thing. But yeah, don't just don't get involved if you're the sort of person that doesn't know when to stop. So it started off with I'm going to make a budget build, and then I started looking at the other things available, and there are some astonishingly expensive you know really exclusive limited run keyboards and stuff you can buy so i've currently got my eye on uh, a keyboard from a company called uh, mode designs it's called the mode 80 yep. and it is a beautiful keyboard but it costs 500 quid and that's just for the case so that doesn't come with switches oh. keycaps none of that wow. stuff. that's just for the case and the pcb and then you, you put your preferred switches keycaps and you know any modifications that you want to put in there um but it, yeah, it's a lovely looking thing. It sounds a bit like when you buy a road bike, or you see a road bike that you like, and that the price is five grand, and then you realise that is just for the frame. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I, yeah, I imagine yeah. If you if you are if you're into bikes, you definitely do not want to get into mechanical keyboards <laughs> because you will if you're if you're always just looking at various things, yeah, you know, upgrading your saddle and your disc brakes and all that sort of stuff, then. Um, yeah, you cannot be trusted with mechanical keyboards. Walk away. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to steer clear. Uh, I think, uh, and also this makes me realise that I got off quite lightly. I think with the content that I made because it was fair. Like I say, it was very top level. It was a case of here's a couple of key keychron keyboards. Here's what I think of them. Here's what they sound like. And um, I didn't get maybe the channel wasn't big enough at that point, but I didn't get much uh, kind of trolling or 
you know, pushback from the from the real keyboard people. Um, I don't think I dare make a keyboard video now. Now, now I know more through you and and Louise. Um, I'll probably just leave it to you guys. I think. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, it is fun. It is fun. I think. I I I think the difference between me and you is that you you can be trusted to not get out of control. So my, the problem with me is that I. Oh, do you think not? Do you think you might? Actually I don't know. Get it depends a, what it is. A it does habit. depend. Yeah, it depends what it is and how much I get into it. But um, no, there, there's it's definitely a bit too much faff. Yeah, I don't like faff. You know, I don't like faff. Yeah, I think it's a bit too much faff. But now, now that I know what I know, if you've got a, if you've got one knocking around that you want modded, I will I'll, I will mod it for you and then send it back and then we'll see what you think about whether or not it's worth investing the time and energy into learning how to do it and doing it so the things that i'm doing to this so so i've already put a foam pad in there i'm going to fill the base with a silicone rubber Uh, so i'm going to swap out the switches i'm going to modify the switches um, and then it should sound really nice i might have to do that because i've I've got so many lying around here i could send you something definitely to have a play around with Oh, no, so you got a keychron, haven't you? Or do you, is that yeah, daily use the keychron? No, I've got a couple. There is one. I think it's at home actually. But there's the. I always forget which one it is. It's the thin profile one, which um, I really liked actually. But it's. Um, I think one of the switches broke, or something happened, and it needed fixing, and I haven't fixed it. Um, that K3. might be interesting. It might be the K three. I think. Yeah. Well, the trouble with that is because it's so thin. Is there's not really much I could do with that. Okay. Is that not, not quite a, a worthwhile challenge? Do you think? Yeah, here's a here's a thin. It's, it's not so much a challenge. Is that there is no, there isn't any scope? There isn't any room in the because it's thin, low profile. There isn't any room to do anything to it. Right. <laughs> so it needs to be something thicker. <laughs> so you could one. replace the caps. That's about it. So yeah, if you, okay. is, is is your if you got you've got a bigger K cron, haven't you? you got a key, yeah, key I've cron. got the K two, which is that sort of thickness. Yeah, that's like call it. 60 percent, isn't that the K two? I think so. So you say it doesn't that, yeah. it doesn't have. The, the, the oh, arrow sorry, are down here, aren't they? No. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I think, yeah, baby pending. I'll, we'll do something definitely. Right, we are running out of time, but I mean, they've got again. We've got a massive outline. There's two things I wanted to quickly talk about. Uh, the first one, um, again, is a bit of a nostalgic thing. We're quite good at this sort of stuff on on this podcast. Um, but it's the return of Monkey Island, which, um, to be fair, this was this isn't new news. This was a few weeks back, wasn't it? Isn't it? Um, In the last couple of weeks, two yeah. three weeks. But um, I don't know why we've bothered talking about anything else. No, we could have spent the most important news of the last decade. Absolutely, we could have spent an hour talking about that, couldn't we? But um, <laughs> oh yeah, I I don't about you, but I spent a, an inordinate amount of my kind of childhood playing Monkey Island. Um, absolutely loved it. It inspired me in all sorts of ways. It wasn't to me. It wasn't just a computer game. It's a brilliant computer game. Brilliant point and click adventure type computer game. Um, but it was also the way it was written. The fact it was really funny. Genuinely really funny. Um, very atmospheric. Very everything about it just really inspired me as a as a kid. I'm trying to think how old I'd have been when I was playing it. When was the first? How many were there? I should know this really off the top of my head. Ah, uh, well. I think there were like five, but the only the first two were any good. I see the third one was all right. So, so the first two were written by uh, Ron Gilbert and Dave Grossman. Yep. And the re- one of the reasons, apart from you know the artwork was spectacular for the time, yep. and the the writing was funny and sharp, and it was it was just a fun game to play. And the, the the story, it's the story itself was was it was engaging. One of the biggest things about that game, which I think people don't appreciate, is how clever the music system was. So they developed a custom uh, music engine called iMuse, and this was by Michael Land, Peter McConnell, and uh, Clint Bajakian, who were the the, the sort of musical boffins at, at LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games. No, it was LucasArts at that LucasArts, time. LucasArts, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and this system could dynamically change the motif that you were hearing based on what you were doing in the game to so sort of give you a subtle audio clues about whether or not you were heading in the right direction, whether you'd done something yeah. not so good. It's very clever. I, I, I saw a video, actually, with an interview with uh, with a couple of them. I'll, I'll see if I can dig that out and post it, because it's fascinating. I think you'd love it, because yeah. you're well into, like, uh, Pete... Uh, no, what's he called? Rick Beato. 
yes at the moment aren't you so you're, you're Very well much. into sort of music the technical side of music but um the important thing about this new monkey island game is that it's the og crew back again so yeah they, they, they worked on the first two which were amazing and then they just milked the franchise and then yeah, three through five they were all right but they were not not the same so hopefully with the original crew back at the helm so ron gilbert has released a couple of games in the years since there was one called the cave okay. which is a point of click adventure and more recently he did a like a crowdfunded retro sort of pixel art style adventure called thimbleweed park i don't know if you caught that one no i've not heard of it very good game okay so he's still got it he That's has still got it i mean looking looking back at the timeline it was 1990 the first one the secret of monkey island and then 91 was lechuk's revenge and then we what did we have 92 was the secret although that was the remastered version for cd-rom um and then 96 is when they remastered lechuk's revenge and then 97 was the curse of monkey island and then 2000 escape from monkey island um i can't remember playing those last two to be honest but um certainly I, I, yeah, the first I two imagine i doesn't imagine you did you i think i may what it would have been past it by then yeah well sort of so, no, so i did i did get i did get the third one and introduced a, a fun new character called murray a very entertaining skull okay a bit like uh bony in trapdoor <laughs> oh trapdoor remember that as well. we won't go down that rabbit hole um <laughs> lose our entire audience um but yeah no i i loved it I, I think like i mentioned earlier though it was just the kind of i found it very inspiring as a, as a young I, I was only sort of 12 13 when i was playing that and but it was around about the same sort of time i was reading all of the disc world stuff you know all of the terry pratchett um things it all kind of went together as it, these kind of amazing worlds that people were creating and that that thing you mentioned about the the, the music uh, that the audio engine i didn't know that was the case actually but now you've described it i remember now there was something about it where it was very in tune with what you were doing. It kind of it kind of told its own story. It was it was very much built into the narrative, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we wouldn't have known it at the time, but looking back, it's like yeah. that's that. It really helped in the 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 the, the overall experience to a, a much greater degree than I think most people would appreciate. Yeah, and there was always that thing with point-and-click games, wasn't there, where it was a genuine, genuine kind of adventure, wasn't it? You, you, you knew you could, you'd get stuck trying to work out what to do, and you'd know that looking in this room that you're in, there was something, something in there that you needed to interact with. Or, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Um, what's the new version going to be on? Is it going to be obviously PC? I'm guessing. And is it hitting consoles as well? I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be on all the things. Should be, shouldn't all it? All the usual suspects. But um, yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, um, that's our latest trip down memory lane. Um, well, I mean, well, in preparation for it, there was a there was a box set. Like you know, you know, you know how games used to come in a big box back in the olden yeah. days. They re- they released a compilation to to mark the thirtieth anniversary, and it contained the first you know all of the games to date, nice. uh, the Monkey Iron games in a big box set. Um, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun just to, you know, like if there's a new if there's a new season of a show you like, you might sort of rewatch, hmm. yeah, to to get back up to speed. I thought, well, maybe I'll replay them to get 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 myself prepared. Remember, try you know. But it was five hundred quid. It's going for five <laughs> that five hundred quid plus this box set. So I, I'll give that one a miss. I not think. worth that, was it? No, no, definitely not. I'd like to play them again. Not, I wouldn't play them again for five hundred pounds, but um. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean you don't. You don't have to get, you know, a collector's edition box set, but uh, yeah, they're easily available for yeah. other means. There was a cancelled film as well. Apparently, they were going to do a do a film. Which well, P- Pirates of the Caribbean is essentially yeah, Monkey Island ripoff. So I think that's what it became. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't do a a proper Monkey Island film because that might have spoiled the entire franchise. Um, I think it's nice being left as a as a really good computer game. I think. Right. Um, the, the only other thing to mention, really, is that it's actually—I I missed this completely—but it's uh, it's the first anniversary of this podcast, isn't it? Yeah, we've been we've been r- rattling on for a year now. <laughs> the eighth of May last year was the first one. I think that was the first publication, uh, first um, published date of the of our our inaugural episode, which was about widgets, wasn't it? It, was, it was. of course it was leading up to WWDC, wasn't it? It was. So I don't know. I'd like to think we're better at it now 
are we? I, I think we probably are. I mean, it ha- the format hasn't changed at all in, in 12 months, which I'm quite proud of. When, when I look at the way that my, the, the kind of videos and stuff that I make, are, they, they've evolved quite a bit significantly, but I love the fact that this hasn't really. It's just, it's just still us talking. And that was, what, like I said to you from the start, it's what I wanted really. Um, I suppose the good thing is we've, we've had other people on. We've had some great guests on, haven't we? Um, and that will definitely continue. But uh, yeah, a whole year of doing this. Um, and the stats are quite interesting. I mean, we can certainly share these with people, but just over 21,000 downloads um, in total. Um, and w- the stats for, for podcasting is really interesting, I think. It's very, very different to YouTube and to blogs and that sort of stuff. You get this massive spike when they're first launched, when they're first um, published, and it kind of peters out and kind of bumbles along a bit until the next one comes out. Um, I don't know if that's par for the course with podcasts. This is the only one that I see the stats for, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, you get this huge amount of interest, which again, I I suppose illustrates how they're delivered and how they're consumed. Um, People tend to listen to them when they, when they're, when they're aired, that's the wrong word, but when when they first uh, get published, um, which isn't always the case with other types of content. So I I quite like that. It's, it's, It's almost like a, like a radio show, isn't it? Or a, a kind of regular TV program that always airs at the same time. Unless I'm late with the editing, which sometimes happens. Well, there was that, that was that, was it last, last week, there was some issue with uploading to the distribution system. Uh, yeah, which was mine, I think, wasn't it? I think it had to, was it a VPN issue? It was something weird, wasn't there? There was something, something weird where it was preventing you from uploading the file to the distribution mechanism. So yeah, it was about an hour, it was about an hour late, I think, the last episode. I bet people were absolutely furious, <laughs> weren't they? Sitting there on their Saturday mornings waiting for 8 or 16 to drop and it wasn't there. Couldn't continue the day, could they? Um, but no, I've enjoyed well, I, it. I, th- I think we've uh, we've got our head around the the audio. Well, your audio has always been fantastic. So from my end, I think the 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 the, my, the biggest thing I've learned is because uh, when when we first started this, I had a road podcaster and I was always moaning about it. I didn't like it. Um, and then yeah, then we got the we we've we've got our uh, his and his sure <laughs> SM7B <laughs> set up now. Um, and then again, I still had some still making i made some schoolboy errors and i like i didn't i didn't have the original sound on on zoom for a couple of them and i think despite yeah. that even with even with those you know minor kind of uh, issues we, we still sound better than a lot of podcasts that i listen to a lot of the big podcasts um to the point where i i, I think I, I don't know if i've mentioned this but i had a was it, it wasn't an email i think it was a tweet or something from someone saying love the podcast um but occasionally when you have guests on they don't sound as good as you and rob and I had to kind of explain that that's because we have the exact same hardware and we do this every couple of weeks, whereas guests come on and in fairness to them, they have a Zoom connection with their AirPods. You know, they're not sitting mm. there with 400 quid worth of um, mics and uh, audio interfaces. But um, I don't see that as an issue. I, I mean, I've always kind of maintained that as long as you can hear people, um, as long as the content's good, that's pretty much all that matters. You and I love audio and we're, we're very much kind of um, proud of what we, we do with that. But... Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you do we we sound noticeably better than than a lot of other podcasts and guests do tend to sound not quite as great. Um well I think that's your thing though, isn't it? Your your part of your a key element of your brand is your audio quality. And it has been from day one. It's just every people are always commenting on your videos. You sound amazing. <laughs> Apart from when there's some distortion, which happened recently, that was. Oh yeah, that, 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 I I well, you know how fussy I am about audio, and you know if there's even the slightest thing out of place, I will notice it invariably. Oh yeah, but yeah, I have never. Yeah, it's only since you went full time that all this weird stuff has yeah. started happening. Yeah, just recently you had a video where you had some audible distortion on your audio track, and that has never happened before. Yeah, and it's happened a couple of times since. I don't know if you've noticed. I think even on, I think Friday's video that I'm editing at the minute, there is some, a couple of instances where it peaks a little bit. And I've still not worked out why, actually. Interestingly, I know we're going way off topic here, and people have probably stopped listening ages ago, but um, I've had to stop recording via the shotgun mic into the Zoom L12 mixer, because um, it was an absolute bag of crap in terms of the the, the, the noise floor. It, it never used to be the case at all. It was it was silent. It was perfect. And then within the last two or three weeks, um, something has kind of got into the the signal process somewhere where it's 
there's like a crackle in the background. Weirdly, it doesn't do it on this mic, on the on the Shure. And if I run the uh, Rode shotgun through the little Zoom H4n thing that I've got, it's fine. But when I run the shotgun through the L12, I get this weird noise. Um, I try different channels. Nothing's changed. It's really weird. Um, so that was a bit of an issue. Although voice isolation in Final Cut Pro did solve all that those issues. Um, but yeah, yeah, little behind the scenes thing for you there. Well, we're going, going back to, to the, the way guests sound. One of our favourite guests, well, everyone that has, has been kind enough to join us on, on uh, has been amazing. But I think the most frequently called out person we've had on is Doc, Doc Imedi. Yes. And he had a horrendous time with his audio, <laughs> didn't he? He did. So I think, Bless well, him. we first of all, he tried AirPods Max, AirPods Pro, and then I think we ultimately ended up doing it just using the built-in mic on his MacBook Air. We did. It was a horrendous state of affairs, wasn't it? It was okay in the end, but it, yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. It was quite interesting with Sam as well last time. He um, he recorded himself locally, and afterwards I said to him, can you pop over the, um, the WAV file or whatever it is that you've got? And he sent it across, and it was 14 meg. <laughs> oh. And I thought, okay. So I listened to it, and it just sounds exactly the same as the Zoom output. So I, I didn't bother him again because he's a busy guy, but um, that just made me laugh. When yours comes over, it's about you know, 200 meg. Um, his was 14. Well, it's, well, I know. It's, it's, it's near it. It's seven, 800 meg, depending on how long the show it is. is sorry, yeah. It's a 48-bit WAV. Yeah, but um, yeah, that just made me smile, really. But um, it was a great podcast anyway. That's not 48-bit. 40, 40, <laughs> 40, 32-bit, 32 kilohertz WAV. <laughs> didn't even spot that um right we better finish rob this, this might be the longest podcast we've done we've gone like one hour ten minutes oh um, i bet you can cut out a, a lot of this nonsense about mechanical keyboards because no one needs to know about mechanical keyboards in fact we should just cut that whole section it's irresponsible but no, i was really gonna say i'm, I'm gonna keep that in i'm just gonna cut out the entire google <laughs> section get rid of the google bit and then we'll just we'll just keep that and and the monkey island bit and that'll be it <laughs> right. awesome right cheers see ya